0: Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. How confident are you when it comes to life's biggest money decisions? What is real financial peace and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. They bring together the brightest minds to show you how to have a more confident financial future. They empower listeners with common sense concepts and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts, LPF Advisors.
1: All right. I would like, we're moving right along. Our next section of the Divorce Directions Summit um, is from Marco Brown. Marco owns the Brown Family Law Firm in Salt Lake City, Utah, specializes solely on family law and helps more people through divorce than any other law firm in the state of Utah. Uh, Marco's going to share with us today, your number one job as a divorce industry professional is to get paid. And he's about to share with us the seven steps to getting paid 100% for the work you do. Marco, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hey, thank you very much. It's great to be here and talk about this. Usually when I give this presentation, and I've given it before many times, it's just straight to attorneys. But honestly, like I could give this to this presentation to therapists. I could give it to any professional involved in the divorce industry and they're going to they're going to learn something from it hopefully but my background is obviously i'm i'm an attorney and my story is that of an attorney who didn't know what he was doing at all when he began and then went through years and years of not knowing anything and had to figure it out uh i i usually give Kind of my my complete backstory when I when I begin this, but I'm going to do something a little bit different than I usually do today. I'm going to talk about another attorney that I spoke with yesterday, and I think her story is really super powerful. But I'll do that after I give some statistics. So I'm a stats guy. I know there are story people and there are stats people. We're going to have both of those here. So. Let's do some stats first to kind of lay out the problem. Again, this is attorney specific, but I think as I talk with therapists, as I talk with other professionals in this industry, they're going through, uh, many of them are going through the exact same problems when it comes to getting paid and providing for their their families and their teams. So, uh, okay. So here are some statistics in... Okay. So this has to do with attorneys and their billing and how they, how they get paid. So the average attorney works about eight hours a day. Okay. Average workday for an attorney is eight hours. Out of those eight hours, an attorney will bill two and a half hours. Okay. And then the average amount that actually gets put on an invoice so you bill to 2.5, but then you cut down some time, and the, av- the average amount that gets billed on an invoice is 2.1 hours a day. So we've gone from already from eight hours a day to 2.5 hours a day to 2.1 hours a day. Then the amount that actually gets collected out of those eight hours, okay, is 1.85 hours. Yep, 23%. All right. Now this. Now you might think, where did this data come from? It's a legitimate question. This comes from the Clio Trends report. This is the uh, uh, 2021, which is the last one I had. And I followed this trend report since uh, I think 2015 or 2016. It's aggregated data along among the, from the largest cohort of attorneys in the United States, I think, that's ever been put together. So this is behavioral data. This isn't survey data. Survey data is, you know, how often do you work out? You say five times a week and you actually like take a walk on Sunday morning or something, right? That's survey data. This is behavioral data. So this is actually what's happening. So 23%, right? these are pretty awful numbers. Now, there was a legal zoom study in 2015 that that was along the same lines actually and this is survey data, but solo's account, solo attorneys account for 56% of american attorneys. Average revenue, $78,000 in a year, average take home pay was $63,000. Now, 2015, you know, it's obviously gone up. I would estimate that number uh, more along the lines of $70,000 instead of $63,000. But still, that ain't great, man. We spent, if you're anything like me, I had $160,000 in debt coming out of law school. The average person has about $100,000 in debt coming out of law school, 140,000 if they're at a private law school and you're making 70,000 bucks a year. Those are not great numbers, right? These, these are These are bad, bad numbers, okay? Now, time to get paid. So on average, this comes from Clio again, on average, it takes an attorney about 87 days from the the time the work is done until it actually gets billed and out, and then 83 days to get paid on an invoice. So average attorney is taking like six months to get paid. All right. And this may sound like to some people in this room, this may sound absolutely ludicrous that there's there's no chance that this is accurate data. I can tell you it's accurate data. I can tell you because I lived it for from 2010 to 2016. Okay, I was terrible at the business of law. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, you know, not nothing. Law school didn't didn't prepare me for any of this, and I was just awful at it. And so I have personal experience. And then I have the experience of talking with hundreds of attorneys about this at this point. Like this is one of my passions that I go and I talk about these things. And yesterday I sat down with a very, very nice woman. She's a colleague in the Salt Lake area here. A very good attorney, been out about 10 years. And her experience was exactly the same. I mean, she came to me because I talk about these things and she said, I need I need help. And we sat down and we talked for about two hours of Uh, you know, all of this stuff. She hadn't paid herself for four months. Okay. Um, She has a, a family member working for her. She doesn't even pay the family member. Okay. You know, the person she pays in her law office, the bum of an attorney she hired that doesn't do anything and hasn't gotten her billables in the last three months. That's the person she pays because she feels obligated somehow to pay that person. But that person isn't even really working on the cases, right? Like it's it was a, it's a mess. And it all stems from the fact that she's not taking the time to collect on the work that she's actually doing. So we may want to say that this is ridiculous, but I guarantee you hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of our colleagues are going through this exact thing right now. These numbers are absolutely real. And this is why I talked about these things. So let's get into the seven rules for getting paid 100%. Okay. And I will do this quickly, the talk about myself just a little bit and why I say 100%, because that was the commitment I made to myself when I decided to change. I, I was just about to quit being an attorney and go do something, you know, go do something else. And I thought, no, let's get paid 100% for the work I already do and see if that changes my life as an attorney. And it did. Lo and behold, when you have money, you can spend money to solve problems. If you can cut a check for a problem, you don't have a problem anymore. Okay. So that was the commitment I made. And I had to figure out what's the system for getting paid a hundred percent. How do I do this? And this is what I've learned in developing that system and perpetuating that system. We still, to this day, collected about 98 to 99%. So it's not quite a hundred, which upsets me every month, but it's about 98 to 99% in family law which is notoriously difficult for getting paid in. Okay? So, you can absolutely do this in any in any area. Okay? So, the first rule is change your mindset about money. As attorneys and probably as, you know, therapists and mediators and professionals in this industry, we're kind of taught the same stuff when we're in school, but specifically for attorneys when we're in law school, we're initially taught about money by our law professors. And, you know, bless their souls, they're bureaucrats. Law professors are legal bureaucrats, nothing more. They don't know anything about the practice of law for the most part. And they say things, I I remember one of my professors said this, your first job as an attorney is to do good. And I remember thinking to myself, I have no idea what that means. And I don't think you know what that means either. But, But I can tell you that's not my first job. My first job is to feed my babies, okay, and pay for our house like that that's it but that that's what law professors tell you and then when we graduate and we pass the bar then we have bar associations who are again bureaucrats that tell us things like you know your number one job is to give away your stuff for free it's it's pro bono all the time okay i don't know about your bar but i my bar and every bar i've i've ever discussed with an attorney like that's 90 percent of what they talk about is pro bono hours okay so they don't focus on how we get paid or how we can you know, really live a good life as an attorney, it's how we can give away our stuff for free. So we need to overcome that mindset. And here's how I overcame that mindset. I imagined clients not paying me as if clients were coming and taking money out of my pocket, because they are, okay? The contract we have with our clients is that we do exceptional work for them and they pay us 100% for that work. So. If you don't give them exceptional work, you should go to lawyer prison because you're, you know, you're not good as an attorney. Like, do better, right? Do better. Give exceptional service to your people. But then if they don't pay you, it's exactly the same as if they came and just started taking hundred dollar bills out of your pocket. Okay, you would never allow that. You would call the cops on those people if they came into your office and started taking money from your pocket. But for some reason, you and I and attorneys seem to think that that's acceptable them just not to pay the invoices and it's not okay. They're stealing from you. They're stealing from you. They're stealing from your family. They're stealing from your team. They're stealing from their families. And if you allow it to happen, you are stealing from your team and you are stealing from your families. So that is the big, that was the big mental shift that I made to get me into a headspace where I could say, nope, I'm getting paid a hundred percent. Okay, I'm getting paid like a casino boss here. Casino bosses will do anything and everything for you if you have money, and they will do absolutely nothing for you if you don't pay them. Okay. That's the way you gotta you gotta think about this. And it may sound harsh, but not being able to pay your mortgage is harsh too. So okay. So that's rule number one. Change your mindset about getting paid. Rule number two is bill regularly. So like uh, like this lady I was talking about before, she was not billing regularly, okay? She hadn't received from her, her attorney, she hadn't received billings for three months, okay? So then she asked me, how do I deal with this? You know, I haven't sent these bills out for three months. And I said, well, this is what I would do. I'd aggregate the bills, cut them by 50%, send them out, and then call every client and say, I'm sorry, I screwed up really, really bad, okay? This will never happen again. but..." if you stay with us, I'll cut cut the invoice by 50%. Okay. That's one way to deal with it. Or the other way to deal with it is you simply bill regularly. Okay. You figure out a day and you bill on that day every month. It has to happen at least once a month. I have a friend who bills, but it can happen more than once a month if you want. I have a friend who bills every Monday. She runs credit cards every Monday. I actually tried that for three weeks in my law firm, because I experiment with all sorts of stuff. And we ran that experiment. My office manager told me in no uncertain terms, she would quit if we kept doing this. <laughs> so it was a three week experiment did not work at all. It was terrible for us. Terrible. But my friend collapsed at like 98, 99% totally works for her. That's awesome. What I do is on the first of the month, I wake up, uh, I mean, I wake up early anyway, but I wake up at like five, and i bill i just get my billing done i have i have the procedural written out and i just sit there and i run it and i'm done with billing by seven o'clock in the morning on the first and then it, the bills go out my office manager sends them out that day uh and that's it that, that happens on, on the first and we're golden and then on the 20th we run credit cards so we have those two days set aside for the, those billing practices Whatever days work for you, it's fine, whenever, but do it at least once a month. If you don't, you're simply not going to get paid on these invoices. Your your clients are going to get really upset. The invoice is going to age, right? The billing is going to age. The invoice is going to age. You're not going to go after it. And then when you try to go after it, after three or four months or whatever it is, because you've been inconsistent, your client gets really mad at you and they leave one-star reviews. Don't do that sort of stuff, okay? Bill every month. Collect every month, boom, you're fine. Your clients are gonna pay it. You're gonna be totally fine. And, and here's the other thing. One of the reasons that I didn't bill every month when, when I started was I was fearful that the client would get upset and, and not pay. It's exactly the opposite. Like clients want you to bill them. They want to pay you to do exceptional work. So give them that opportunity. Okay, so that's rule number two. Rule number three is don't chase money. Money is an incredibly powerful motivator, and it is an incredibly powerful deluder at the same time. When you feel like you need money, you will make exceptions and to your rules about who you take as clients, what your retainers are, what your hourly rate is, so on and so forth, and you will chase money. And it always, always ends poorly. And you might think to yourself, well, it hasn't always ended poorly because, yeah, there are really no absolutes in this world. But I guarantee you, if you look back at your practice and you think, yeah, I chased money that time, probably 95% of the time that that ended um, worse than you wanted it to. So don't be doing that. Here are some examples of chasing money. Taking cases that you don't normally do because you need the money. If you ever say you need the money, you're screwed, okay? Okay. Get yourself in a position where you don't need that money and you can yeah and then it gives you options okay number two doing work when your client isn't paying you three doing work because your client promises they will pay you next week okay four discounting your hourly fee uh, or your retainer to get or keep a client those are always the worst clients always the worst clients five tinging a client when your gut tells you don't do this what for whatever reason, whatever you want to say, your gut is, your gut is always right about this. When your gut says no, you don't go. Just don't do it, man. Don't do it at all. Okay. Uh my, my gut, and I'm not the brightest guy on the earth, but my gut has been a, been right hundred percent of the time on this stuff. Okay. And then six, uh doing your friend or somebody else a favor by taking a case you don't normally take, right? These, these are all examples of chasing money. They will all end badly. So don't. Chase money. Okay. Number four, rule number four always have money in trust. Okay. Now, this is the way normal attorneys run their, their retainers and their trust accounts. They'll get, say, it's $5,000, right? The, tr- the retainer's $5,000. They get $5,000 and then they blow through that retainer and they get to zero and then they get in the negative, right? And they're always fighting to get back to zero. So they go in the negative and then they get back to zero and they go in the negative and they get back to zero. Okay. Bad, bad idea. Don't please don't do this. Uh, I do this for years and years and years. It was terrible. So once you get in the ne- once your client gets in the negative, you become a banker. Okay, you are no longer an attorney, and no one likes their banker. I mean, it's hard for people to like us as attorneys, but certainly no one likes their banker, and no one likes a lawyer who is acting like a banker. Okay, so don't don't do that. And you're not a banker. You have no ability to assess risk. You have no ability to determine whether or not this person is ever going to pay you if they get in the negative. You don't have that skill set. You're ignorant on this. Don't play a banker, okay? So what you do instead is you have a retainer. And that retainer, they may your client maintains that retainer amount for the entirety of the case. So it's $5,000, they use some money during a month, say it's $2,000, they use that and then you bill 2,000 bucks and you get it back to 5,000, okay? called an evergreen retainer you always keep it evergreen at that at that amount and then it just fluctuates up and down like that but you will save yourself so much time and so much heartache if you will do this one this one thing this may well be the most important thing that uh the rule that we talk about today in in always having money and trust um and, and what I can tell you is that if you don't do this sort of thing and you're chasing money at the end of the case, you're much, much more likely to get a bad Google review, a one star Google review, because no matter what you've done for somebody, I remember I had a case, I got this, uh, this lady in Texas, her kids should not have happened. Like it was pulling a rabbit out of a hat sort of case for me. Uh, but I got her exactly what she wanted and she owed me $5,000 at the end of the case. She was hopping mad at me. Even though I got her exactly everything she possibly wanted, and I, it was just ridiculous. And what what I figured out was it was the fact that I was coming after her after the case for the money. And then I thought, okay, well let's not do that. And now you know that doesn't happen, and people are much happier. Like we just don't have that problem. So you're gonna you're gonna cut down on one star Google reviews if you always have money and trust. Okay, and then really really quick on how you determine how much you should have in your uh, what your retainer should be. Uh, ideally you want it to be a hundred percent of the worst possible month you have. Okay. So if everything goes wrong in a case, how much would you bill in a month? Okay. For us, that'd be somewhere around $10,000. Okay. It's a little rich for Salt Lake city. So what we do is we back it down to like the 90th percent worst month. Okay. And that backs it down to like 5,000 bucks. Okay, so you can do that. But what you have to do is you have to have the data to figure that sort of thing out. So you need to go through cases and figure out that data and be, you know, be intentional about your about your money and your data. So you can determine these sorts of things. Okay, so rule number five, if your client doesn't pay you or doesn't keep money in trust, stop work, stop right now. Okay, so Just stop, it's okay, stop. You have to have a clear trigger for this though. So our clear trigger for stopping work is on the 20th when we run credit cards, if it declines, we send out lay, the office manager sends out a series of emails and then the phone calls to the client about, hey, the, you know the, this didn't go through. Tell us what's going on, let's get you back on track. We're not going to work on your case until we, until we get back on track. Then the attorneys have to, you, know, they stop work as well. So it's a communication system, but it's all that clear trigger of the credit card not going through. okay. So you need to have that clear trigger. and you need to have a system for actually getting paid. And what I mean is you have to, and and somebody has to be in charge of that system. Please, for the love of heaven, it cannot be an attorney. We're terrible at it. We're just awful at getting paid. We don't want to think about it. We're not going to, we're just not going to do it. So don't put that on an attorney. Hire somebody to do this thing or task somebody in your system right now to do this thing. And that is their number one job. The number one job is to get you paid. Everything else is number two. Answering phones is number two. Pleadings is number two, whatever. All of that stuff is number two. The number one job is to get paid. Write all your system down exactly how you're going to do this. And that person just run this, runs that system every month to get you paid 100%. Okay. So that's number five. Now, rule number six is specialize this if we have, we have people in the kind of rural areas this is going to be a little bit uh, a little bit difficult possibly but specialize and specialize in one thing and the reason i talk to people about this the reason i tell them this is specialists make 10 times more money than generalists okay we can look uh, not 10 times but multiples more than than generalists so we can look at doctors To uh, As an example of this, if you are a family practice doc in the United States, then you're very likely making somewhere in the order of $150,000 a year, something like that, $200,000 a year, maybe something like that. If you're a general surgeon, so mid-level specialist, you're probably bringing in $500,000 a year. If you are a brain surgeon, you're bringing in a million dollars a year. And I know this because I do brain surgeon <laughs> divorces. So there, there are multiples like a brain surgeon is a high level specialist. So th- this applies to not only to doctors, though, it applies essentially across the spectrum when it comes to industry. So if you have a you know, something as mundane as a janitor, sorry for the lighting back there, I do apologize for that. Uh, as a janitor, the average janitor is going to make about $30,000 a year, but if you have a nuclear waste disposal technician, right? It's a high, It's essentially a janitor for nuclear waste. That person is going to make a bunch more money. Let me tell you, like the, those numbers are incredible. But essentially, they are janitors for for nuclear waste. So the more you specialize, the more money you are going to make. And the less time you are going to spend inventing the wheel on every case. So specialize as much as you can get your systems down really well. You'll command higher prices and you can you can write out your your systems and have people other people run those systems for the most part. So you're not going to have to think about it nearly as much. And you're going to be much better at that thing, too. The more you do something, intentionally. And the more you put your kind of heart and soul into that one thing, the better you're going to get at it. And again, that's going to make you boatloads, boatloads more money. People are happily going to pay you and they're happily going to pay you hundred percent when you are a specialist. Okay. All right. Uh, and we're at number seven here. This is where the rubber meets the road. And I love this rule. This rule is fire your worst client today. Now, I gave you about two or three seconds to sit there and think about that. There was, a, there was a face that came into your head when I said, fire your worst client today. That is your worst client. Okay, That's the person you hate the most. It's the client you hate the most. And if you hate that person the most, think about what your paralegal thinks of that person or the front desk guy or the front desk lady. They're the ones who take the brunt of the crap from our clients. Okay. So if you hate that client, I guarantee you, they hate them 10 times more. Okay. Now these clients, this is, this is the Pareto principle the power law, however you want to describe this, these clients suck up an an inordinate amount of your time. So, you know, 10% of, uh, let me say five or 10% of your clients are these terrible clients. They're going to suck up 80% of your time. Okay. And they're also not going to pay you because one of the things about terrible clients is they don't, you know, they don't normally pay you. So they're going to suck up all your time and your resources. They're going to damage your relationship with your paralegal and and really just make everybody's life hell in the office. And they're not really going to pay you. So just fire, them. get rid of them today, at least one. Okay, and then once you get once you get a taste for this, like you're going to like it and you're going to do it more and more and more. So take the worst client fire that worst client, then sit down and grade all your clients. And from A to F and all those F clients, and you know, you got them, all those F clients, get rid of them. Okay. Then when you get to the D clients, get rid of them. Then if you really, really want to have an exceptional law firm, get rid of all the C clients. Okay. So you're just dealing with A and B clients. Okay. Now you might be thinking to yourself, man, if I do this, I'm not going to have anybody left. Well, that's a problem, but I guarantee if you get rid of all the F clients, you're gonna spend a lot more time getting A clients, okay? You're gonna figure that out. And those A clients are the ones who are gonna pay you and they're not gonna they are not going to take a bunch of your time and you're gonna replicate and you're gonna figure out how to replicate those A clients and, and acquire them and you're gonna make much, much more money and live a much better existence. Okay, so that's the end of the seven rules. I'm gonna give you a little bonus real, real quick. This is something that I've learned uh, running a law firm, and now we have 13 attorneys. So I've, I've learned this, but this was kind of by happenstance, and I wanted to share it with, with everybody. So this is a skill set that highly, highly correlates to success as an attorney here in my law office, and as I talk with other attorneys in, in other law offices as well. And that is learning to bill in real time, okay? For whatever reason, when attorneys come in and they don't learn to bill in real time, Uh, And we use Clio, so you can just sit there on the computer and bill, right? When they don't learn to bill in real time, they have problems billing and they also have problems in other aspects of lawyering here in the office. But when somebody learns to bill in real time from the very beginning, they essentially never have those problems uh, going on. I don't know if it's a diligence thing or whatnot, but I've noticed that. And I, I preach this gospel to people now like, bill in real time all the time and if you don't if you don't bill in real time you write it down you bill it at some other time you know there there are studies on this but my my experience tells me this this is true as well you're simply going to lose time you're going to lose that sheet of paper you're going to forget things you're not going to you're not going to key them in uh you're just going to lose a whole bunch of time which you know decreases the the time in the office the time you actually bill so don't do that to yourself right Bill in real time, get all of that time down, and then collect at 100%. Your life and your law firm will be vastly, vastly different if you do this. And it will be vastly different very, very quickly, like three to four months. You will have an entirely different law office, and you can have an entirely, entirely different life if you collect at 100%. So that's that's the end of that. Uh, I wanted to try to make this pretty, pretty quick. Any questions or anything? I am happy to happy to answer anything at all.
1: First of all, congratulations um, on what you've achieved. That is absolutely awesome. Um, Love the presentation. Virtual round of applause from Marco. Um, Technical item. Marco, can you click on participants? Can you click on panelists? Hover over the three dots next to my name and make me host again.
0: Uh, okay, just a
1: second. Um, couple questions while we're going through that. Do you review your trust account during the month and unbilled entries to see if clients have used up their trust before you bill again?
0: All right. I think I got the hosting thing. Okay.
1: you did. There you are. So let
0: me, let me look at this. Do you review your trust account during the month, unbilled entries, see if clients use Okay. So one, we don't have unbilled entries. Uh, the only unbilled entry we have is if we leave a voicemail for somebody, we actually unbill that entry, uh, but it goes on the invoice because we want clients to see that we that we called them and left voicemails. Uh, yes, so at the at the beginning of the month, I do kind of perfunctorily look at the the trust accounts to see if there's enough money in there. Really, what I do is I just run it and then it will show me the deficiencies, like if somebody was deficient in their in their trust. And that's a red flag, right? And then I go back and I talk with the office manager and say, hey, look, this person's behind. And then we need to stop. We need to ensure that work is stopped and get them back on the on the payment schedule. So that that's how we handle
1: it. Awesome, uh, Marco. Have you found any ways during intake to determine that a client is going to be problematic, so you don't have to fire them later? Is that your spidey sense, or are there any specific questions you ask?
0: Man, so I have a couple. Uh, I have a couple rules that I follow, and what one, one it. it, it, it Some of it's a personality thing, right? Like we don't shy away from hard cases. We take hard cases. We love hard cases. That's totally fine. That's what being a lawyer is about. I don't like super aggressive guys. I don't like serving super aggressive guys. It's just not my jam. I'm not good at it. I have a I have a female attorney friend. She loves them, just eats them up, right? So I just give them all to her. So yeah, I just don't, you know, if that if that happens, I I have ways of getting out of the uh the consultation and, and I send them over to my friend and she helps them out. Now there are a couple others. We have very difficult times with addicts, uh you know, serving addicts, and we're very, very careful about that sort of thing. So if we if we figure out that somebody's an act then we start asking lots and lots of questions to see if we might be able to possibly serve that person because if they're in the throes of addiction there's nothing we can do like they're just going to waste their money on us and you know most anybody else to be honest so you have to you have to kind of delve into into that a lot of it is spidey sense like i've had people before and i just sit there and i just think Nope. No, I'm not going to do this. And people that I've, I've known, like I've known these people and then they, and then, you know, this person comes in for a consultation and I just get the idea that there's way more to it, that they're not telling me and they're lying to me. And I just think, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Right. Uh, So some of it's that spidey sense, but some of it is just setting up your own rules and then not deviating from your own rules, okay. And, what, and for example, one of the other rules that I have that we have here in the office is we don't take cases where the person has had an attorney before, okay. So. I talk with attorneys all the time and it seems like an inordinate amount of the problems they have are from clients who've had attorneys before. Right. So I just, we just stopped doing it. So it's probably an 80, 20 proposition. 20% are just fine. of Those clients are just fine. 80% are trouble. So I'm like, all right, we're just not going to, not going to do it. So we have hard and fast rules around that. Uh, and you just set up your own rules, like whatever you like Just set up those rules and then don't deviate from them because there's no, there's no real point deviating. But When you deviate, uh, you're chasing money and it's going to come back to bite you in the rear end.
1: Great answer. All right. Let's see. Any other questions from Marco going once? Um, how do you, if you determine that someone is problematic, how do you let them, you you give us the advice of firing clients. How do you do that? Mm -hmm.
0: So, I mean, there are different there are different ways to do it, and it, it really depends on your personality. Uh, I'm sure if I were from New York or Hartford, Connecticut, I would deal with this in a different way. But I'm from Salt Lake, so we got to do you know we got to do different things out here. Um, but I you I tend to use what I call the George Costanza. It's, the, it's not you, it's me. So I just say, look, this isn't functioning, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm obviously not serving you. As you need to be served, and that's on me. I haven't figured that out, and I apologize for that. So let's get you an attorney who is going to be able to serve you as well as you need to be served. Okay, and let's do that in the next you know week or whatever it is, or you know whatever. And then uh, and then you let them go. So that's that's usually how I handle
1: it. Uh, another question: What do you mean by real time billing?
0: Oh, okay, so. Let me give you an example of what is not real-time billing, and this might help. So you sit there with a pad of paper, and you write your billing out on the pad of paper, right? I did X and Y and Y, and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the day, you give it to your paralegal, and your paralegal inputs it. Or you, at the end of the day, input that time, okay? That's not real-time billing. Real-time billing is you have a task. You have an email exchange, and at the end of the email exchange, you bill for those emails before you move on to anything else. Right. So you have in real time build for that task and then you move on to the next task and you build for that. But you don't ever move on to a, a, a subsequent task without having built for the task you're working on at that moment. Got it. Yeah, And the only way you can do that is by having uh, a system like Cleo, or my case or, you know, time slips or whatever that is going to allow you to input the, the data in real time.
1: Awesome. Any other questions? Go in on. once. Go in twice. All right. Virtual round of applause. Thank you so much, Marco. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.